Amen. Well, welcome to the Hills, all of you in person at North Richmond Hills, West Fort Worth, and Keller Campus, and to our large weekly online community around the world. I am so happy that you chose to join us on this, the 11th day of September 20 and 22. I've been looking forward to today specifically for several weeks for three great reasons. Number one, today is my birthday. So, now it's not one of those special birthdays, so don't make a big deal. In fact, you do not have to come afterwards and give me a hug, okay? But it's still my birthday, which means that later my adult children will come over and I will take them out to eat in honor of me. So... The second reason I look forward to today is because I'm ready for some football. This is the first day of the Cowboy season. And I have been a Cowboy fan since I was a very little boy. Now, to all my fellow Cowboy fans, don't get your hopes up. Do not drink Jerry's Kool-Aid. Haven't 27 years of futility taught us anything? Enjoy the ride and expect to have your hopes crushed. We're not going to the Super Bowl. If you want to be in a Super Bowl, play fantasy football. Okay? And by the way, the ministers on staff here, we have a fantasy football league. We have a reigning Super Bowl champion. Uh, and if you want to ask David Meyer or E.J. Brown or Chris Hatchett or Taylor Wallen who that is, I'm sure they'll tell you I'm much too humble to do it myself. <laughs> but the third and biggest reason why I look forward to today is because today and next Sunday, I get to recast the vision for our church as we ask for nations and generations. You hear us use the words mission and vision a lot in our church. They're not quite the same. You see, the mission of the church is non-negotiable because it was given by Jesus himself. It is an unchanging mission, and that is to make and grow followers of Jesus. But the vision of a church is the unique way that that church is going to pursue the mission, how it's going to measure its effectiveness of that pursuit. And so we have a unique vision at the hills. It directs us in the particular ways that we are going to steward our resources and our gifts and our opportunities to make and grow followers of Jesus. And at the Hills, we call our specific vision, Ask for Nations and Generations. So today I want to recast the vision we have for the nations. And to begin, I want to do a brief, about five-minute walk through the Bible. I want to show you that God's redemptive plan has always focused on the nations. And so, the Bible begins with sin and fallenness and division and evil filling the earth. And God is not going to let his good creation go unredeemed. So he launches a plan, a redemptive plan through a particular person named Abraham. And here's what God says about his man and his plan in Genesis 18. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. So at the very beginning, God says, I have a plan to reach all the nations. Now, when you read the word nations in the Bible, 
Don't think a landmass with a border. Think people group. In fact, the Greek word for nations is literally ta ethna, where we get the word ethnic or ethnicity. And so the Bible speaks of nations as a people group with their own language or culture. That's why you could be a part of the nation of Israel and you could live in a lot of different countries. So think ethnic groups and God's heart for all the people groups of the world is strong in both the Testaments. So for example, King David says this a lot in the worship songs he wrote, like Psalm 86, all the nations you've made will come and worship before you, Lord, and they will bring glory to your name. So please understand, Israel is not God's favorite nation. Israel was God's chosen nation through whom he was going to bring a plan to reach all the nations. And he chose Israel specifically through whom he could bring a Messiah. And so the Bible prophesies about this coming Savior, Isaiah 66. God says, I'm about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. And so Jesus was God's agent for the redemption of all the people groups on the earth. In fact, as soon as he's born, you start to see people from other nations come to worship him. He came to fulfill the promise God made to Abraham. Matthew pulls an Old Testament prophecy out in his gospel about Jesus. And he says, in his name, the nations will put their hope. Now, I want you to lean in and listen to something very carefully. What is the gospel? Most people in the West hear it very individualistically. Well, the gospel is God's offer to forgive me of my individual sins. And the gospel does that. But the gospel does that in pursuit of a much bigger vision. The gospel's aim is to give God the multi-ethnic family he wants. The gospel's aim is to bring about the achievement of the purpose he announced to Abraham. So the gospel must not be reduced to just an offer of self-fulfillment. Well, you know, follow Jesus and you will get the life you want. No, the gospel is the message of Christ's fulfillment of the announced plan of God made to Abraham. It is Christ's fulfillment so that God can have what he wants. And so the last words of Jesus to his church, the marching orders are these. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the ethnic groups in the world. You see, your being in Christ means your inclusion into a redeemed, multicolored, multi-ethnic family that God has always wanted. And when you get to the end of the Bible, you realize God is going to get what he wants what he announced to Abraham. So you have a vision of what heaven looks like in Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, 
from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So what then drives our church and our vision is an intention to give our neighbors a preview of coming attractions. We want to be a community that gives our neighbors a foretaste of God's coming fulfilled dream. God is going to have what he wants, a beautiful, multicolored, multi-ethnic family made up of all the ethnic groups of the world. And we are partnering with God to see that happen. And so we ask for the nations. So what I want to do now is share with you, this is a five-year vision. We started in January of this year. I want to give you just an update where we stand with regard to the goals that we set out as a church as we ask for nations. And here's goal number one. We want to see in five years, 1,825 people surrender to Christ and be baptized. We wanted to lead with a goal that is absolutely mission-centric. Because when Jesus said, you go to all the ethnic groups and make disciples, the very next thing he said was baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism is not the destination of discipleship. Baptism is the initiation into discipleship. Baptism is the launching pad where we begin to learn what it means to follow Jesus. And our goal for this five-year vision is to see that happen 1,825 times. You know why? Because that'd be one person a day. Just like the early church, we want to see this happen daily at our church. And so we started in January. The last numbers I have are through August. August 28th was the last Sunday of the year. Uh, to that point, in the first 240 days of this year, we've seen 238 people surrender to Christ and be baptized. So we praise God for that. Now, you can be a part of this vision. You know why? You have a one. Every follower of Jesus has some one that God has put in your life that you can influence toward Christ. By the way, E.J. Brown, our minister of evangelism, is starting a class this week at every campus to help you be better at sharing your faith. Uh, Monday night at North Richard Hills, Tuesday night at West Fort Worth, Thursday night at Keller. It's at 630. Show up. And let us help you learn how to share your faith because we want to see 1,825 people surrender to Christ and be baptized in five years. Our second goal, we want to become a multi-ethnic church. I am absolutely persuaded that there is no biblical justification for the mono-ethnic church. I'll have a Bible study with anybody who wants to challenge that statement. This is why Paul never planted a mono-ethnic church, even though it would have been easier to do it. The church should embody God's announced dream. So our desire is to be a multi-ethnic church out of obedience, but also I would say out of expedience. Because the Bible says, 
that God put you where he put you when he put you for his purpose. You live in 2022 in Tarrant County for a reason. And we live in an incredibly beautiful, colorful, diverse county. There's not one single ethnic group that is a majority in this county. I like to play golf. I play at a local public course. And over the last couple of three years, I've made a bunch of friends that I did not know two years ago. They all love Jesus. We get together, we play bad golf, we talk about the gospel. I was playing with a group of five just a few weeks ago. There was one African-American. There were two Hispanic men. And there was a fourth guy who's an immigrant from Greece who was Greek Orthodox and now has become Pentecostal. He is an ethnic group completely unique to himself. (laughs) And here's the thing. We look like our city. And our church should too. Now, the definition of a multi-ethnic church is no one race is more than 80% of that church. They picked that number because for some reason at about 20% uh, people began to adapt to the sociological reality of diversity in their midst. Where are we as a church? Honestly, we don't know. We tried earlier to take a survey. We did not word it well. We got back some great feedback. We learned that we speak 21 languages in this church. We learned that we have connections, deep connections to 53 different countries in this church. But we're not exactly sure what our uh, ethnic makeup is. So we're going to try with some outside help to do that survey again in the near future. One thing we do celebrate this last year, we put in 21 new elders. Seven of our 21 were men of color. We celebrate that because if we want our church to look like our city, then our leadership needs to look like our church. So be praying that we become a multi-ethnic church in five years. Number three, we want to be a church of at least five campuses. We currently have three in Keller, West Fort Worth, and North Richmond Hills. We think our next campus will be our first campus in a different county. Here's why. This time last year, as I was unveiling this vision, uh, some people at the Skillman Church in Dallas heard about it. Uh, They're a church with a long history, but they've been in decline lately. They said, maybe we could be that next campus. And and so we started a conversation. One of the first things we did was just wonder, is anyone in Dallas interested in this? And so we had a interest night at the Skillman Church. And as you could tell, several hundred people showed up. We now have a list of over 200 names of people that would like to be a part of the Hills uh, if we have a campus in Dallas. Now, we are not currently continuing a conversation with Skillman, but we are absolutely convinced that God has shown us a call to come to Dallas. So we're looking for locations. We're interviewing people about possibly joining our staff to help us launch that campus. And I'd like you to join me in praying I would love us to see a launch of a fourth campus of our church in 2023 because we want to be a church of at least five campuses in the next five years. Goal number four, we want to engage members as advocates for 25 asylum-seeking families or individuals in our community. Church, you must have loved this goal because you jumped all over it, okay? What's an asylum seeker? 
This is a person or a family who has been welcomed into our country by our government because it's been determined that in the place where they live, they're in danger because of their race or their politics or their religion. So there's an organization that is Christ-centered called DASH that tries to help these people because you come to this country as an asylum seeker, you can't get a work visa for a couple of years. You've got to navigate how to live in a completely new world. And so they need people to come and be advocates for asylum seekers. Currently, we have 18 members who've been trained and processed to be advocates for asylum seekers. But we have 170 people in our church in this past year who have served at DASH to help these families. For example, some of you have taught English as a second language. Some of you have taught classes on basic skills such as math or uh, buying groceries or uh, legal matters. And like I said, we have 18 processed to be advocates and it's been a beautiful story. You see, for example, this is the Brooks family. Uh, they're advocating for a family and they found they have a common love of baseball and they're growing together and sharing that. Maybe my favorite story, a young man came to this country as an asylum seeker, 16 years old. Can you imagine coming by yourself to a new country? And he got paired with a couple of members of our church at the West Fort Worth campus. And they just uh, began to walk with him through life in America. They take him on family outings. He got real plugged into student ministry at the West Fort Worth campus. And they discerned that his next step would be college. So they put together some funding. They found some grants. And he started this last uh, September as a freshman at ACU, Abilene Christian University. His life has literally been forever changed because of some people who had a vision for God's dream. By the way, Dash Network is having a dinner this Saturday. If you want to know how you could be a part, uh, check their website, call our church office and get the details. Goal number five, we want to help launch and or support 15 new multi-ethnic church plants. Now, we've been a church planting church for a long time, and here's why. The good news is 3,000 new churches a year are starting in this country. The bad news is 4,500 churches a year are closing. We need more churches. For a variety of reasons, it's been shown that brand new churches attract unchurched people better than older established churches. So our goal is for the next five years to tr help three churches a year get started. But this first year, we're helping four. Let me show you who our planners are we're partnering with. Jamie and Alex Snyder are going to start SoFlo Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Charlie and Leslie Welke are going to help start City Coast Church in Fairfield County, Connecticut, which is right above New York City. Lenny and Jenny Barber are starting a church called The House in Ferguson, Missouri. And then finally, Calvin and Tara Daly are beginning Beacon Church in Londonbury, New Hampshire. A neat uh, story here. So they were partnering with an organization to try to start a church. That organization went out of business because of COVID. They lost $150,000 of support. 
They contacted another church planting organization saying maybe it is at the time. And the plant uh, leader said, no, God will provide. Just trust. Within a week, we were thinking about uh, the overage. We have a harvest offering every fall. And in 2020, you gave us over 700,000 more than the goal. How could we use it? So we called this church planting organization. We didn't know anything about them or their story. And we said, we have $150,000 if you think you can use it. God put us into connection within a week. And now they're beginning this church. And so our goal was 15 new churches. We believe right now we can start 16 new churches in the next five years. And by God's grace, we're becoming known not just as a planting partner, but as a planting mentor. Churches are beginning to call us to get equipped on how to plant churches. David Meyer, our executive minister, is now on the board of one of the finest church planting organizations in our country. And God is leveraging what he has taught us to teach others. And that's a beautiful thing. Goal number six, we want to support the Livingstone International University community through prayer and by sending 20 members to teach, equip, and encourage. If you're brand new to our church, our church helped found and launch a liberal arts Christian university in East Africa, a city called Mbali in Uganda, because we believe the way to transform a culture is to transform the next generation of leaders. The school was launched. We had an administration, got licensing from the government. We bought land for a campus. We built our first buildings and then COVID hit. And it was devastating to LIU because they could not have in-person classes. They were not able to recover and begin in-person teaching again until this past February, which means currently they have 230 students enrolled. This October, 73 students from six countries will be a part of their seventh graduating class. They now have six degree plans. They've added a degree in agriculture and early childhood development. And Livingstone is recovering and getting her spirit back. We thank God for that. Craig Stone, who has been a minister and an elder of our church, is now on the board of LIU, and he'll be working extensively in helping their school develop. And we couldn't travel the last year, two years to LIU. Now we can. And so we think next year we'll be able to start our first group of 20. What we're going to do is ask them, how could we help? What skill set could we bring in a week or two to bless your campus? It could be car mechanics, nursing, trauma counseling. We'll ask them, what do you need? And then we will come to some of you and say, we want to send you to Uganda to bless Livingstone International University. So pray for that school. And then finally, we want to reach the unreached by launching and supporting five church planting movements and by supporting Bible translation efforts in five new languages. What do I mean by the unreached? Okay, this church has long, long had a robust history of doing mission work. No country spends more money on mission work than America. But less than 1% of the money spent on missions goes to reach the 29% of people who live in the world that have almost no access to knowledge of Jesus. 
So for the next five years, that's especially where we feel called to have an impact. Among the 29% who are unreached. We'll do it in two ways. Number one, getting the Bible in their language. So we're partnering with Seeds, a, a ministry that does this kind of work. And this year, we're helping two projects. One is beginning with the Duke people in the Pacific Islands. Uh, the Genesis, the first 10 chapters, the book of Ruth. They're reading the scripture in their language for the first time ever. The second thing is we're finishing Bible translation project with the Bondalinda people in the Central African Republic. And then you'll recall, last summer, we commissioned a family to go, and I can't tell you where, because it's a part of the world that's hostile to Christianity. And there's a people group that has no Bible in their language in that part of the world. So they're going to go, and they're going to live there two years to learn the language, so that in year three, they can begin translating the Bible into that language. That's one way we're going to try to reach the unreached. The second way is to partner with church planting, disciple making movements. Here's what I mean. Historically in the West, we send people to another country. They build a church building. They start a church. Often when they leave, the church collapses. That's not how we do mission work as a church. We don't build buildings. We don't start churches. We make disciples of people who are local to that country. We teach them to follow Jesus and to teach their friends to do the same thing. They go out and start churches in their homes, typically. So this year, the first movement like this we've partnered with is in the Middle East, where people go and they take locals and they teach them how to read the Bible and teach their friends how to read the Bible and let churches begin to happen organically as they gather. It started in Iran, it moved to Afghanistan, and then to our great surprise, but not God's, it moved to Saudi Arabia. And so the person we're partnering with sent us a, an update, and obviously, as you'll notice on the video you're about to see, he had to disguise his voice. But I think you'll be encouraged by what he had to share. So watch, please. Just to thank all of you for your incredible support and seeing 16 groups in the last year of Muslims that are reading creation advice has been one of the major, major breakthroughs. So this has been absolutely unprecedented and I think a large part to your prayers. Saudi, according to the surveys, is now the fastest growing church in the world at 60% per annum. Common knowledge was that it was Iran at 20%, and Afghanistan at 19%. The latest stats, even though the numbers are much smaller, here in this particular nation, there has just been an absolute explosion of uh, the gospel in this, in this land. And uh, all glory to, to God for what he's doing in this place. In the epicenter of the Sunni Islamic uh, nation, that being Saudi, Mecca being the epicenter of Saudi, and obviously the Kaaba being uh, the, the epicenter of Mecca, we just want to, you know, continue to send a huge thank you to all of you for, for your faithfulness and know that this is only the beginning, and this is just like the hors d'oeuvres, if you will. Because uh, the, the harvest is truly, is truly white for the reaping. And, and we are privileged to be, to be able to partner with you in this spiritual quest. 
How do things like this happen? Two reasons. Number one, you're generous people. You give your tithes and your offerings every week. And then when we have our harvest offering for missions and church planning, you go over the top and you give us the resources so that we can do things like this. But the bigger reason is because we believe Jesus is sovereign. We believe there is no people group on earth where disciples cannot be made because all authority over all nations belongs to Jesus. And so we ask, and we ask big. And we need you to pray weekly for this vision. Go to our website that we created, nationsandgenerations.org, to be reminded of these goals and pray for them regularly. That's the what. But I want to close by circling back to the why. Why are we doing this? And again, I remind you, because God wants a beautiful, global, multi-ethnic family. It is a false gospel that is content with salvation without reconciliation. It is a false gospel that says, all I want from Jesus is for him to forgive me of my sins. But I don't want to engage in the pursuit of God's dream to bring the peoples of the world together into one new family. That's a false gospel. The true gospel is preached when people are one to Christ by the witness of people who've become one in Christ. This is what Jesus prayed for the night before he died. Father, may they be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. Jesus said people are going to be one to Christ by the witness of people who've become one in Christ who would otherwise, apart from their allegiance to Christ, have stayed apart. And this is why God wants a colorful church. In Ephesians 2 and 3, Paul talks about this church, how the cross is breaking down the walls between the races and creating this one new race out of allegiance to Christ. And he says this amazing thing. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What God is doing in the church, creating this colorful, multi-ethnic family, is a witness to the seen and the unseen world. In fact, God's, let me put it this way, God's multi-ethnic family declares the triumph of Christ to the seen and unseen world. And this is why. This is why. This can't be an option. This pursuit of this dream cannot be a fad. What happens when we don't prioritize ethnic unity and fellowship is that in effect we are saying Christ did not defeat all the powers of darkness that have divided this world for so long. But the beautiful, colorful, multi-ethnic family of God puts the demonic world Unnoticed that Christ did conquer the grave. Death is defeated. He is Lord. He is coming back. And Jesus is going to give God what he wants. And by the way, it puts everyone else on notice too. And someday the whole universe will acknowledge that God got what he wanted. But we are going to model it today. We're going to show the world what is coming.
So I was visiting one of our church plants this past summer in Santa Barbara, California. And I realized they were only about 30 minutes away from Oxnard, California, where the Dallas Cowboys go every summer to have training camps. So I thought, well, bucket list. So my wife and I went up and we watched the Cowboys in training camp. You'll see in this picture that it's basically a bunch of very large men in shorts running around playing tag. And there were 4,000 of us absolutely enthralled by their presence. And it was one of the most diverse groups I have ever been a part of. People of every race, people of Asian ethnicity, Latin ethnicity, African ethnicity. I sat in the stands uh, by some Hispanic uh, friends and an Asian family. And when they found out I grew up in Dallas, that I went to the Cotton Bowl, that I saw Don Meredith, that I met Tom Landry, I was a rock star. <laughs> and what brought all of this beautiful, colorful crowd together was their love for something outside themselves. One guy walked by in a San Francisco 49 jersey and we all booed him and let him know he has no place among the righteous. <laughs> and as I was leaving, I took this picture. Notice that it says, welcome Cowboys Nation. What I witnessed that day was people of many different nations who became one nation because of their allegiance to something they love. And the Holy Spirit prompted me in that moment with this thought, no one should do nation better than the church. Our goals are huge, but our God is bigger. And so we ask, and we will right now, we will ask for the nations. So join me in prayer. God, we ask, we ask for that which is your heart's desire. We ask for the nations here in Tarrant County and in Texas in our country and around the world. We ask God that the name of Jesus will be proclaimed among every ethnic group on the earth. And that you would use our church to be a part of the answer to that prayer. And so God, we ask and we ask it to start with us right here in our city. That we become a church that models what you want for the world. That people will be one to Christ. Because here at the hills, we are one in Christ. Despite all of our differences, our love for Jesus transcends everything. And so God, we ask. Do what you long to do. Do it with us. We ask this in honor of, for the glory of, and in the name of Jesus. Amen.